If you'd like to follow along in the sermon today, there's an outline provided in the bulletin for you. So we continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount this morning, starting at its beginning. Well, the founding fathers of our nation declared in our founding documents that all people are created equal, and we are all given certain inalienable rights, and they list three big ones. This is our test for today. You might know them. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, life and liberty, we can understand those, that we have a right to life, to live. Okay, that's good. We have a right to liberty, to certain freedoms, that we have the freedom to live in a lot of ways how we want to live. And yet, it says the pursuit of happiness not happiness itself. We are not given the rights of life, liberty, and happiness, but the pursuit. So there's something a little more elusive about happiness. It's hard to find. It's hard to grasp. So what is happiness? And how do we go about pursuing it? Well, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitudes comes from the Latin word to mean blessed, and that's because all of these verses begin with, blessed are those who are like this. But that word for blessed is also the same word for happy. That happy are those who are like this. Blessed. See, blessed is a very churchy word, and so we can tend to think of, you know, bless your heart, and bless this, and bless that, and it's saying the blessing. And it's, well, what does blessing mean? It means happy. It means good things. It means to be blessed and happy. And so in these verses, Jesus is saying, here, God's people, is what happiness is. Here is what it means to be happy, how to find happiness, how to find the blessed life. And we see eight of these statements followed by a little application. But that doesn't mean there's eight different paths to happiness, Like, you can be happy if you do this, or you could do this and end up being happy. But they all work together. They all work together that this is the one blessed, happy Christian life. So the question I want us to think about today is, what is Christian happiness, and how do we find it? So we're going to open up our Bibles today to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll look at Matthew Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So if you haven't opened already, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for your word. For these statements of blessing, similar to other places in Scripture where we see your blessing, like in the Psalms, that Jesus is saying, here is what it is to be blessed. So, Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear your word, to know what it is to be blessed, to be happy in you. Lord, speak to us. Correct us where needed. May we see our sin and turn from it and live godly lives for you, knowing the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so what is Christian happiness? Well, today we're going to look at what we need to do for Christian happiness, kind of how we think of ourselves, our posture. What is the posture of happiness? Then we're going to look at the pursuit. What are we looking for? So not what about us, but what out there are we pursuing for happiness? So posture and pursuit. And finally, product. Once we find this happiness, what is the product of this happiness? So first, what is the posture of happiness? When people want to be happy, what do they do? They just think happy thoughts or put on a happy face or clap their hands because they know they're happy. I don't know. What do you do when you're happy or want to be happy? Well, a lot of people look for self-help books. You know, it's a new year. It's time to be a new me. No more sad times. I'm going to, I'm going to, Be my best self this year. Live my best life now and be blessed. Live into the blessing. I'm going to be the best me. That's one way we do it. Or we just think happy thoughts. We might end up flying away with Peter Pan if we think happy thoughts. But really, we just try to put our past in the past. Forgiving ourselves for past mistakes. We try to focus on the good and ignore the bad. We try not to limit ourselves with negative thinking. We just embrace positivity, and that will make us happy. Or maybe we just say, you know what? I'm going to dream big and then chase my dreams. I want to think about what I really want, and then I'm going to go for it. Let's follow passions. Let's follow dreams, because those are the things that have been missing, and if I find them, then I'm going to be happy. And so we go through all these different ways to try and find happiness in our lives. But Jesus tells us something different. He gives us an unlikely posture and path to happiness. He essentially takes everything we think we know about happiness and flips it upside down. And he shows us that Christian happiness is different than what the world thinks. Instead of trying to be our best self, He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their deep poverty of self, realizing that I'm not a good person, and my best self is not that great. In fact, it's pretty helpless. And so if I need a self-help book, but my self is helpless, then I'm in a lot of trouble. After all, why are there so many self-help books? 
You would think if one like cracked the code finally, that would be the one book on the shelf and everyone would buy it and we'd all be a lot happier. And yet there's rows and rows and stacks and stacks. And it just shows like, yeah, these don't work. Uh, They wouldn't be sitting on those shelves if those actually worked. Jesus is saying that happiness comes from something else. It comes from being poor in spirit because it's only when we see our helplessness that we are willing to receive something from outside of ourselves, God's gracious invitation to join his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say, it's not happy thoughts that are going to make us happy people. He says, instead, we must mourn. Now, that seems incompatible How can you mourn and be happy at the same time? How can you be happy and sad at the same time? I can hold up those little emojis, and you're like, how do you get your face to smile and frown at the same time? How do you do that? I mean, you can cry out of happiness, but that's not really sadness. That's just involuntary. But this is a spiritual mourning. As you look at the rest of the Beatitudes, it's all spiritual things, Poor in spirit, suffering for righteousness' sake, being merciful. These are spiritual things, and we need a spiritual mourning. So instead of mourning over the loss of a loved one, we are mourning over our sin. We are mourning over what we have lost because of sin. Jesus is telling us we do not avoid negative thoughts about ourselves. We don't turn away from failures, but we reflect on them and we mourn. And so we see how poor in spirit we are and we mourn our helpless selves. And so as a result, we find comfort in Christ, that the sin that we are mourning over finds its solution in his forgiveness. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so it looks like sadness leads to blessedness. He goes on in the third beatitude that instead of chasing our dreams, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, inheriting the earth or even just our dreams seems like something that should take a lot of effort and self-assertion. You know, we tend to think of it like that training montage in Rocky, that we're just focused and it's, you know, we're going after it. And in the movie, though, it lasts one or two minutes with cool music and you're running up and down the steps and all sorts of things. But when it comes to life, it's a daily grind of chasing and pursuing our dreams, trying to get to this goal that we just need to focus hard and do it. And Jesus says, instead of chasing your dreams, blessed is the one who is meek. Meek is an absence of self-assertion. It's someone who isn't demanding their rights, demanding good things. It's someone who doesn't think much about themselves at all. That spiritual meekness comes from realizing our poverty in spirit and realizing our sin and coming to the conclusion we're not even worthy of having dreams to chase. But Jesus says that when we find ourselves humbled there, we will inherit The earth, realizing we don't deserve anything, puts us in the position to receive grace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
And so when you look at the first three Beatitudes together, they put us on that downward trajectory in our minds of sadness, of mourning. It's the kids saying, we don't want to be sad. We want to be happy. See, happiness, he's saying, begins with humbly assessing ourselves. It's being brought low before God. That the happiness we find in ourselves won't last because ourselves are helpless. We need to be brought low and humbled, and then we will have the kingdom of heaven. We will be comforted, and we will inherit the earth. And so that's the posture we start with happiness. It isn't smiling. It's not thinking positive thoughts. It's a humility, a being brought low before God. Okay, all right, well, then what do we need to pursue when we're in this humble state? What will bring us happiness? Well, most often, we look for happiness in things that make us happy, which makes a lot of sense. We think of Disney World, going to the library. Man, that's awesome. You know, we think of those kinds of things that make us happy. We look to pleasure, to entertainment, comfort, companionship, health, possessions, and wealth. Those are the things that we think make us happy. And so the world has its own set of beatitudes. It has its own set of blessed are the so-and-sos. Blessed are those who invest wisely, for their retirement shall be comfortable. Blessed are those who enjoy their job, for they shall feel fulfilled. Blessed are those who eat well and exercise, for they shall have a long and healthy life. Blessed are those who raise their children well, for their anxiety will be lower. Blessed are those with more expendable income, for they will be able to afford the luxuries of life. When we think about happiness, that is just, that's all there. In our minds, we understand happiness in those terms because that's how the world understands happiness. And Jesus is telling us here that is wrong, it is fleeting. It may satisfy your happiness for a while, but eventually you leave Disney World. The library books are due again. Your brothers and sisters don't want to play with you. You get a new boss at work. Your possessions wear out and grow old. Eventually, we are no longer happy. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who comments on here, says... Our pursuit of happiness is similar to the difference between painkillers and a cure for our problem. Painkillers mask the symptom of pain for a deeper problem. They work for a while. In fact, painkiller companies fight about whose lasts longer. Mine lasts eight hours. Mine lasts 12. And really, that's what these competing forms of happiness are doing to us. You'll be happy for a week with this new thing. You'll be happy for a few days, even months with this new thing. But there's a limit on that happiness because it masks the symptoms that what we need is a cure, not the addictive nature of painkillers. So what is the cure for our ailment and our unhappiness? What will satisfy our longing for happiness? This is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, the world hungers and thirsts for happiness, but they're never satisfied. 
Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied and you will be blessed. And so what we see is happiness is an indirect pursuit. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, According to scripture, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. We must go through something else to find happiness. It's like connecting flights at an airport. There is no direct flight to happiness. You have to connect through some place. But instead of the dreadful Chicago O'Hare airport, we look to things like, oh, money, healthy living, possessions, that person over there. And we try to connect through those things, and yet the plane crashes before it gets to happiness. And Jesus says the connecting flight is righteousness. That righteousness is what gets us to happiness. And Jesus says this, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst, things we may not experience a lot since we have plenty in our world today. Very few of us have to go hungry for very long or thirsty for very long. But hunger and thirst are deep physical pains. And so we must desperately want righteousness. We must want to rid ourselves of sin and be right with God. Who can have such a deep hunger and thirst if not someone who is deeply hungry and thirsty because they are poor in spirit? See, the Beatitudes flow. It is only out of that poverty of spirit that we sense our great lack of righteousness that we must hunger and thirst for. And Jesus says, when we have that hunger and thirst, it will be satisfied. But it's not satisfied because all of a sudden we get our act together and live righteous lives. Jesus feeds our hunger. He quenches our thirst with his own righteousness. He gives it to us as a gift, as a meal that he paid for so that we can be made right with God and fix the cure, the deep ailment of our unhappiness. And so having been Satisfied in this way, Jesus quenches our thirst by pouring the Spirit on us so that we can begin to live righteous lives. And he starts changing us. The Spirit changes us, changing our taste buds so that our hunger is no longer for the pleasures of the world, but for the righteousness of God. And we are satisfied finding it in Jesus Christ. And then once we are satisfied... We are able to live as God's people rather than hungry people looking for happiness. See, rather than trying to have other people make us happy, we can show the kind of mercy that Christ has shown to us and bless others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Once we are satisfied, we are no longer searching for different sources of happiness, and so our focus narrows, it purifies to focus on God as we begin to look forward to the day when we will see the God who has saved us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Once we are satisfied, we no longer start conflicts with others because we're grumpy because we're hungry for happiness or we think that conquering this other person will make us happy. Instead, feeling satisfied and content, we see others struggling and we try to make peace, resolving conflicts with the good news of the gospel. And so we act like God's children. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we see happiness creates this kind of life through righteousness. And that all sounds great. Finding happiness through righteousness is a little counterintuitive, but hey, sounds like it works out all right. And everyone is going to be so excited when they realize that we found happiness in Jesus. And these wonderful, merciful, peacemaking, happy Christians are going to give the world a big dose of happiness. And the Beatitudes seem like they should end right there. And Christians lived happily ever after. And yet the Beatitudes does not end like a fairy tale. It ends with a thud. Jesus does not tell us that the world is going to be excited for us for finding happiness. He tells us that the world will hate us. Five different times he mentions persecution or hatred toward those who find this blessed life of Christian happiness. That seems like a bizarre product of happiness. That once you are happy, people will hate you. That's, boy, happiness is pretty bad, I guess. But notice what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say you will find happiness in this life, but there's a catch. People are going to hate you. That's not what he says. Jesus says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He's not saying, well, here's the downside. He's saying it is an additional blessing. It is part of this blessed life. So how is it possible to be happy and blessed and persecuted and hated all at the same time? Well, that seems like a hard thing to do, but Jesus said it, and that's where we have to go, okay, well, Jesus said it. It must be true. But why? Why is that possible? Well, again, note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that we are being persecuted because we are in-your-face, Bible-thumping believers. He doesn't say that we're being persecuted because we're hypocrites who do not practice what we preach. He doesn't say we're being hated because we do a really good job of pointing our fingers and judging other people. No. He says we're hated for being like Jesus not for failing at the Christian life, but actually for succeeding and living like Jesus. We are hated for the righteousness in us that reflects the righteousness of Jesus. And that's a blessing because it means we're starting to live like Jesus. It's an affirmation that the world sees us as odd, as different. And not just because we think the library is fun, It thinks we're different because we're like Jesus. It thinks we're different because we live according to a different set of values than the world, that we don't get our happiness from the same painkillers. We get it from this deeper source, this cure that they don't understand. The world identifies us as different, and it hates us in the same way Jesus was hated, in the same way the prophets were hated in the Old Testament. And that's because there is something different about us, that God puts his spirit in us, making us his children, 
that there is something heavenly in us that is foreign to the world, and the world doesn't like it. It brings us joy, and it brings them confusion. Christians are satisfied in happiness, and the world is like, what is your problem? Why are you happy even when we hate you? And so it seems odd to say, but the Christian life, the happy Christian life, means people aren't going to like you. In fact, people will probably hate you if you're doing a good job. But that's okay, because our approval does not come from the world. It does not come from our circumstances, but from the love of God and what he has done for us. So the big question, what is Christian happiness and how do we find it? Christian happiness comes from realizing our desperate and miserable condition because of sin. And realizing the cure for that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that makes us loved by God and his very own children. In other words, Christian happiness is living like a Christian. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Clearly, Jesus does not say the happy Christian life is easy, but he says it is a blessed life. That the benefits seem upside down, and yet it's realizing we don't deserve any of these blessings, and yet God in his grace gives them to us. We are given more than we could ever hope for, more than we would ever deserve ourselves. And as we reflect on that and remember the blessings we have in God, he fills us with a deep satisfaction, knowing that we are right with God. So find your happiness in the blessings of Jesus Christ. He alone satisfies that desire. He alone gives us happy and blessed lives in this world. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for what we receive in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace that you have given to us that we can be happy and blessed despite our sin and our misery. Lord, we pray that you would help us to find that poverty in spirit, that spiritual mourning and that meekness that comes from a humble assessment of ourselves so that we can be satisfied by the great gift of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your spirit to pour into our lives and change us so that we no longer hunger for the happiness of the world, but hunger for the righteousness of God, for that brings us closer to you to live like we were always meant to live with the Father we were always meant to have. Lord, bless us in your grace, in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.